Today on From A to Z, Andy Warhol. Welcome to From A to Z. This is the podcast where we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Thomas. I am Travis. And today we're talking about Andy Warhol. War, war, Warhol? War, what did I say? You said you said hole like holes. Warhol. 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 Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. We're uh, we're uh, talking about uh, Andy Warhol. So so anyone who's listened to the song enough, hopefully we'll pick up on that little inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> so it's again a very flight of the concordsy kind of moment in the beginning where the producer starts rolling, and then David Bowie's correcting him on his name being Warhol, and then all these weird effects kick in, and that's a very straightforward folk rock song. 12-string guitar. That's pretty much the only instrument. Yeah. There's a whip. Woody Woodmancy is, is slapping a whip every now and then. Which you definitely pick up more on the, on the, the remastered version. Huh. So full disclosure, I... I I love Hunky Dory. So Hunky Dory was kind of say, this is from Hunky Dory. This is from Hunky Dory. 1971. I love this album. What about this song? Did this song stand out to you? A little bit. Just because, you know, having an awareness of Andy Warhol, I got a kick out of that. You know, I was like, oh, this is an interesting song about Andy Warhol. I thought it was odd that there was a song devoted to uh, a person who's, you know, still alive. It just, uh, I don't know, it just seems strange. It didn't seem too odd to me, just knowing that, um, just knowing what a figure he was at that time in the, in the pop art world, it just felt like kind of a natural thing. Because he he had a presence in the, in the music scene. He managed Velvet Underground for a while and forced Nico on them against their will. And it was more based on her image. Yeah. Right she couldn't sing her. for crap. She was terrible. Her voice. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, well, it's got a certain quality to it. It does, but it's... Which is charming when you listen to it, but... Yeah, you but she's not very good, right? And it really, it, it really chafed at the rest of the band, and especially Lou Reed. So the, the deal with Andy Warhol and, and that half of Hunky Dory is that there's some like little nods and ways of people that he admires. There's another song about Bob Dylan on there. This one, well, kind of flattering, doesn't have the same level of flattery. Parts of it feel a little condescending, even. Mm. So. Bowie said that he, he had taken the song to the factory, which is where it was Andy Warhol's art space, basically, where like anyone who was in the cool art crowd at that time hung out at the factory with Andy Warhol. And apparently, he when he played it for him the first time, he hated it. Andy Warhol walked out of the room. Yeah. He was so embarrassed, he had to leave the room. Like, he couldn't take it. And, like, he kind of talks about him like a pet. In one verse, where he's talking about Andy walking, Andy tired, Andy take a little snooze, tie him up when he's fast asleep, send him on a pleasant cruise. It's like this doesn't feel this doesn't feel like flattery at all. But even after Andy Warhol initially hated it, obviously he didn't change the song. Yeah, David Bowie didn't change yeah. the song. No, yeah, it's, it stays intact the whole time. And David Bowie asked whether he needed to like pay royalties or something to use Andy Warhol's name in the song, you know, like he like he would for maybe use someone's likeness in an action figure or something. And that's that's kind of what that's that's how I saw that that verse. Is it's kind of like a it's like a puppet. You've got him doing stuff. Um, you're just like sort of playing with this like a puppet or like a, a doll or something. Which and about that. So it's it's so Andy Warhol. I don't know. I don't claim to know much about art, so if you know more... 
I'm not. Yeah, I don't know a ton either. Honestly, I'm not a deep thinker when it comes to art. But I, I read about. I read a little about Andy Warhol to prepare for this. So apparently, his whole deal. What's the deal with Andy Warhol? His his work it examines or confronts what the nature of art is and what is and isn't art, and in line with uh, celebrity culture advertising so like that's the whole thing with this, the Campbell soup cans yeah is which like, is like the, the one Andy Warhol thing that even if you know if you know zero about Andy Warhol which is where a lot of us are coming from at the very least you know about the Campbell soup can and his whole everyone has 15 minutes of fame thing that's basically all you, all you have to know about Andy Warhol so the Campbell soup thing it's basically like it's it is a very it's basically just a representation of the Campbell soup can. Yeah, it's just it's, like Campbell soup can. That's all it is. That's that's it. So I'm like, well, how does that how does that distinguish from an advertisement for Campbell soup? It's like that's that might be a way to advertise Campbell soup, for instance. And apparently, Campbell's had to issue a letter. Man, I saw something on Twitter a few days ago. Campbell's soup issued a letter to someone assuring them that they did not pay. Andy Warhol <laughs> to make that to make that his the, the symbol that he adopted. Oh. It's not about Campbell's soup. It's no. about like co-opting something that's already in the public consciousness. So here's my impression of Andy Warhol as someone who doesn't know a ton about art. I kind of get the impression that Andy Warhol almost is exists in a way to make people who don't know much about art feel like they know a lot more about art than they do. Where anyone can look at the Campbell's soup can and be like, oh no, it's a statement against commercialism and things like that. Like, it really is like, it, it sort of strikes as like armchair philosophy art. Pop art. Yeah, it's total pop art, which I'm sure he owned. It, it, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's pure, it's pure Americana. Um, so, and that verse where Bowie treats him as a plaything. So Warhol was all about you know, building his brand. Um, and Warhol was a leader in that whole perspective on things. Like coming from an advertising background, establishing you know your identity in people's in the public consciousness as you know something that represents something, uh, having a brand, having an image that that people recognize just inherently, and a persona that people feel like they have some some, some ownership in your personality. So that's how I kind of think of, of that second verse, that Andy, take him, take him along, he, he needs a little snooze, take him on a cruise, you know. So like ultimately, if you're a celebrity, your persona is is not your own anymore, it becomes the public's, and they, they can do with it what they wish. I think that's part of what that second verse is dealing with. And like you said, when Bowie played the song for Andy Warhol, when he, when he met him, he ran out of the room, and from then on, like, they, they didn't become friends or anything. Despite the fact Bowie portrayed uh, Andy Warhol in the film, Basquiat, or like as Chris O'Leary puts it, the caricature Andy Warhol. I haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen it either. But I've seen pictures of Bowie dressed as Warhol, the wig and the glasses and the, the shirt. And <laughs> I mean, he is such an eccentric character that I feel like anyone who plays him, you're just going to fall into parody because it's hard not to because he's just like this very flamboyant over-the-top figure. Yeah, which, again, that whole figure is something that, that we have as the public. It's something that's not the real Andy Warhol. 
And I think that's another thing he was trying to deal with in his art is reality, like the reality of, of personhood. Like uh, there was something he said uh, when he got shot. So he said, before I was shot, I always thought that I was more half there than all there. I suspected that I was watching TV instead of living life. So it's like this artifice, you know, even in real life. It feels artificial. People sometimes say that the way things happen in movies is unreal, but actually it's the way things happen in real life that's unreal. The movies make emotions look so strong and so real, uh, whereas when things do happen to you, it's like watching television. You don't feel anything. So it's like experiencing real life is something that you're not really prepared for yeah. if you're conditioned on the way things are supposed to be. Yeah, that's the thing that I definitely like, it kind of does make me feel slightly less like a crazy person because I've definitely been someone who's like, I haven't had a lot of trauma, I haven't really had much trauma in my life at all, but when I have, or when I've dealt with like really sad situations and I don't like crumble up in a ball like it looks like I'm supposed to and just like have these like breakdowns and I'm just kind of like, I don't want to say indifferent, but I don't feel like that like rush of emotion that I'm supposed to. And I'm like, oh, am I some kind of like emotionless monster? It's confusing. Um, it's like, it what's is. wrong with me? Like, yeah. But. So it's just kind of like, not that a good like mantra in life is, if it was okay for Andy Warhol, I guess it means it's okay for me. But it does kind of feel less like I'm like some like soulless monster. Like it's just, that's just life. Like I guess when you have been exposed to so much TV or whatever, that really feels like it's supposed to be this big dramatic moment, but it really isn't. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's I think that's true, and that's I think that's also what uh, Bowie's talking about when he says Andy Warhol's silver screen you can't tell them apart at all. It's like what's what's real and what's like how are things really supposed to be? Yeah, Warhol's one of those figures where it's like where does the persona end and the person start? And when you're someone like Andy Warhol who kind of lives his art or what David Bowie eventually became, where you kind of live in your art, where you kind of wonder, like, where does this one end and the other begin? Yeah. Which I can also see Andy Warhol taking as kind of an insult. Maybe, like, you know, you could feel like, oh, is this guy calling me a phony? Like, can't tell me, a, you know, the real me apart from, you know, the persona me? Yeah. Well, no, except, I, yeah, I, I kind of think he would have understood that part. Yeah, but the other thing he says in the, in the song is... Uh, is Andy Warhol looks a screen like he's this weird looking dude. He is. Uh, I, I feel like that might have been that might have gotten to him more than the, the silver screen bit because I think that's kind of what Andy Warhol was going for. It's like this whole question of what's real life supposed to be like. What's what's the artifice of like you know celebrity personality? I mean, if you were to say picture an eccentric nineteen seventies pop artist and you close your eyes. It's basically like Andy Warhol presented himself exactly like what your subconscious would do. This is like very like stringy guy with tussled hair and the glasses. Like he, you don't even have to know what Andy Warhol looks like to know what Andy Warhol looks like. Anything else about the song about Andy? Um, covers. Wait, there's, there's an interesting note. Uh, I just wanted to mention uh, the back jacket of Hunky Dory, which if you look at it, uh, there's a lot of really interesting little notes because uh, it's all hand scrawled by Bowie over this picture of him in these great bell bottoms with long hair. And the track listing on the back, instead of Andy Warhol, it looks like it was supposed to originally say Andy Monument, and Monument is X'd out, and Warhol is written under it. Um, so take that as you will. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty much all you can say about that, but it's interesting. 
I don't know. I, because there's there's a certain reverence. That, I mean, there's definitely a reverence there as yeah. condescending and snide as the song kind of sounds. I think that he's, he's treating Andy Warhol as kind of a pop culture Christ. He's sort of sacrificing Andy Warhol, the figure, for his own, um, for whatever purpose. I don't know. It's like this cathartic sacrifice of this pop figure. It's kind of punching in the face. Yeah. As much as Bowie clearly admired him. Yeah, it's like, it, it's a pat on the back, punch in the face. Um, yeah, so let's go to other versions. Yeah, there's so many other versions of the song. So this was a song that he had written for Danny Gillespie. And her version is, um, it's got kind of a heavier, like, psych rock feel to it. Yeah. Which is weird, because from what I've read about Danny Gillespie, that kind of sound is not typical of her. Actually, there's a pretty good video of the Danny Gillespie version where it's, I think she's on top of the pops. And oh. it's, yeah, it's very 70s. It even says, like, on the, on the description, it's Andy Warhol, parentheses, chroma key, where it's got, like, a lot of, like, really bad 70s, like, green screen effects. It's definitely worth checking out. It's very much of its time. Yeah, it is a really cool version of the song. It's... I actually prefer the Dana Gillespie version to the David Bowie. Interesting. I, I like the heavy, heavier sound. I like the sort of, there's there's a thing she does with the hand claps where they sort of come in soft and, and there's an echo to them, I think. Uh, the version I listen to comes from this uh, promo LP that Tony DeFries, the manager of uh, Bowie and Gillespie, put out while trying to get them a record deal. And it's got some songs from Hunky Dory and it's got some Dana Gillespie songs in early mixes. So there's this early mix of Andy Warhol, the Dana Gillespie version of it. And I kind of like that version better than the LP version because it's like a drier mix. There's less reverb to it and it's just got, it's got a nicer, I, I like the hand claps. The hand claps really sell me on that Dana Gillespie version. And I think it's got Mick Ronson on the guitar. Yeah. It's like this really cool, heavy, Mick Ronsonified, scooped out sound. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun, heavy driving version of it. Whereas Bowie's version is is just twelve string guitar, I think it's Mick Ronson like double tracking the guitar, the acoustic guitar. I believe you're right. But yeah, so it's acoustic. It's technically, I think it's faster, but it's, it's yeah, not, I think it is a little bit faster. It's um, but yeah, nowhere near as heavy. To me, Bowie's version has always been this. I've always had the same kind of reaction to it um, that you said you first had. It's like this. That's okay. That's neat that there's a, this song. Um, and that's, that's pretty much all I've ever thought about it. Um, and I think that's actually pretty representative of Hunky Dory. There's some songs on there that are just, they're just good, neat, acoustic folk rock songs. And then kind of interspersed in there are these really mind-expanding, explosive songs. Um, there's definitely some fives. Oh yeah, there's some fives. Not there's definitely of ourselves. Yeah. There's some threes too. Like it's definitely like I I, I propped this record up so much because I just had that like special place. But I, I did just listen to it a bunch back again. Yeah, like that's it. There's like some songs that are like they're good, but nothing spectacular. But then when like the really good moments hit, they really hit. And yeah, this kind of falls on that other end. It's just like it's a good song. It's all right. Yeah. So in keeping with that. I guess it's not really a tradition because it's only two bands that did it, but I'll call it a tradition of grunge bands covering David Bowie on Unplugged. 
Stone Temple Pilots covered Andy Warhol when they did their appearance on Unplugged. And it's 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 good. It's really good. Scott Weiland's always been one who worships at the altar of Bowie. Um, and he, it's really is a very true to the original version. And once you get past that phase of early Stone Temple Pilots, where they were kind of trying to sound like Pearl Jam. Scott Weiland does have a he's got a he's got a rangy voice and like it, he does a very passable Bowie. Um, and then the version on Unplugged is very much like trying to do a passable Bowie and succeeding. And then I also saw, and I was unable to find a full video of, so apparently um, John Frusciante, formerly of Red Hot Chili Peppers, does a version of it when he plays live, which I really want to hear, because he, he, all the best Chili Peppers are songs with John Frusciante on him. He's got a very good voice. So I was a little bummed that I couldn't find that. If anyone can find the John Frusciante version, please put it up on the website, because I would very much like to find that, and I was unable to find that today. Yeah, so I guess we should, uh, let's, let's rate Andy Warhol. Yeah, the song and or the artist. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead. I'm, I, like I said, this is kind of a middling, middling Bowie, as far as I'm concerned. It's a fine song. We, I mean, we got, we got into some pretty good, good depth here, but that's what Bowie does. Yeah. Like, he, he puts, he puts a lot of stuff in there that you can unwrap. You know, we probably just scratched the surface, but I think we can, you know, Good discussion on, on this song, yeah. um, but I'll give this one three new pence to have a go. <laughs> I, I actually, I was going to give it three. All I was going to give it three Campbell soup cans, but that's a lot more. Yours is a lot more creative, so I will also give it three new pence. All right. So, uh, so yeah, yeah probably if, uh, it if you have any comments on this song, or if you've ever been to the Andy Warhol Museum, which I failed to know is the largest museum devoted to a single artist. In the world. In the world. Um, so if anyone's ever been there um, and is hearing this before I probably go there next summer, let us know what you think of the Andy Warhol Museum because I'm very curious. And let us know if it, if it, if it charges more than two intense. Yes. What's the conversion? <laughs> if we adjust for inflation. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, yeah, let us know about that, and let us know what you thought of this song, or of Andy Warhol in general. So, all the social media stuff that we need to remind you all about. Oh, yeah, yeah, anyway, um, um, anyhow, yeah. Um, anywhere. Like, like us on the Facebooks, we put out episodes every week, a few times a week. Yeah, sometimes on time. Yeah. Facebook, Twitter, at From A to Ziggy. From AdaZiggy.com is the website. Uh, you can leave comments on the blog. Send us an email at podcast at from AdaZiggy.com. Feel free to, uh, to chime in. Come be on the show. If you're in the Boston area, come on and just like drop by like anytime. Totally. Not really anytime. And I, I'm also going to I'm gonna shame you, all that I know who live in New England, who aren't that far from here, who like David Bowie. Easily come over here and be on the show and be on the time to get a decent night's sleep. Anyway, anyhow, anyhow, anywhere, anywhere you choose, join us for the next episode on Friday. We'll be talking about any way, anyhow, anywhere. Uh, until then, I am Thomas Myers. Goodbye. It's true. They got a message from the action man.
Um, one of the owners of the Red Sox, John Henry, reminds me so much of Andy Warhol. Whenever I've been watching interviews with him, I just like cannot take him seriously. Because he also has like the similar glasses and the tussled hair and the like wiry kind of built. It's just, like, yeah, every time it's like watching Andy Warhol give interviews. Uh, and to bring up something that we always bring up, uh, recently I saw a picture where Beck looked exactly like Andy Warhol. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I saw that. No, no, there was a thread on uh, this Beck Facebook group that I follow uh, that um, that had. I still I I don't know whether it was a picture of Beck or whether it was a picture of the <laughs> world. I can't tell them apart at all.